the key thing is getting clear and identifying what are your strengths. So if you're a very technical person and the idea of sales and marketing completely freaks you out, that's okay. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't be a successful consultant. What it means is you, you want to identify what are your strengths. everybody and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It is, as usual, wonderful to have you here. I hope you're all safe and well. Um, be sure to go and check out my book, People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams. But today I've got a corker of a guest for you and I've got Michael Zapersky. How are you doing, Michael? I'm fantastic. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you here. So we first met a little while ago when I came on your podcast, which was the Consulting Success Podcast. And this is when I was going through the promotional phase of People Powered. And I was going on a, a, about 1,000 podcasts every week, it, it felt like. And every so often, you get on a podcast and you meet somebody and you kind of really hit it off. And that's kind of what happened uh, with us. But let me go through the rap sheet, first of all, so people have got a, a, um, a bit of background. Because I, I see you as, as my kind of consulting guru. <laughs> <laughs> the consulting mentor. Um, so you, you've got a long history when it comes to marketing and, and consultancy. Uh, you were an international international marketing consultant and co-founder of Avida, where you were creating strategic alliances with really well-established Japanese graphic design branding firm. Um, you were a principal marketing consultant and strategist and founder at, Ra- Ra- is it Ralagi or Ralahi or? Ralagi. Ralagi. Yeah, it, it's, it stood for relationship strategy. Ooh, look at that. Very fancy. Um, and then you went, uh, you, from there, you were a, um, uh, actually, while that was going on, if I'm correct, what, you were a co-founder and head of marketing operations at Fresh Gigs. Um, and now you are the CEO and co-founder of Consulting Success. And you're an, just an incredibly comprehensive learning platform for people who really take uh, consulting um, really seriously and, want to build, and they want to build amazing consulting practices. And of course, you are the creator of the Consulting Success Podcast, which is a really great podcast. I didn't encourage everybody to check it out. So let's start at the beginning um, with consulting, because I think consulting is one of those jobs, one of those professions that a lot of people don't really understand because occasionally they'll bring a consultant into their company um, and consultants kind of come across as a bit of a lone gun and you know they're not part of a broader organization in some cases. What is it that first attracted you to, you to consulting? What got you excited about it? Well, I didn't enter consulting thinking that I would become a consultant. Uh, when I was in the transition between high school and uh, college, university, my cousin um, Sam and I decided to start a company together. And our first company was actually called Fingertip Media. Uh, And so this was kind of the early days of website design and development. And Sam was in charge of the design and the development. He's the the creative guy. And I was really doing more of the communications with clients, the marketing, the business development for it. Uh, And so that was my foray into you know the official world of of business and what I found re- uh, relatively quickly is that you know we were really in the business of providing uh, advice and ideas and uh, doing our best to make an impact and ultimately provide value you know to our clients uh, and that was really where uh, consulting started and as you kind of mentioned earlier on uh, been involved in 
you know, multiple companies, both in North America and, uh, and in Asia, working with clients all around the world. But it all kind of started from that first business, which led to the next business and to the next business. And they've all been centered around this idea of uh, helping clients and organizations to, to solve problems, to get better results, uh, providing strategic recommendations and advice and, uh, and supporting them to, uh, to achieve what they're after. Now, one of the things I remember when I started consulting um, about four years ago, full time, and I've been doing it on the side. I think one of the things that a lot of consultants are worried about is is um, driving the pipeline, is getting enough people through the door where they can build a business. What have you learned about that? What would you say are the, the, the main things that consultants are doing wrong or what they should be focusing on in building that kind of consistent pipeline? Because you can be the best person in the world, but if you haven't got any clients, it's, your consulting career is not going to last very long. Yeah, well said. I mean, the, the biggest problem is that most people don't do it, right? So they, they want more clients. They know that they, they need clients. They, uh, they see the importance of, of that. And in fact, actually, many people don't see the importance of that right away because for for many they will uh, launch into consulting you know out of coming out of the corporate world and uh, if they're in a lucky position um you know luck meaning kind of right right time right place right uh, experiences to that point uh that they they get business uh, from their uh, employer or from their network or referrals and so they kind of cast off into this ocean uh, and they're doing great work and they're they're having fun. But one day, and this inevitably happens, they kind of wake up and go, okay, like where's my next client going to come from? And maybe I actually need to start doing this thing called marketing. So uh, <laughs> yeah. whether they, they've just been, you know, gliding um, forward or they've started, I mean, at some point people recognize that to go beyond where they are or to see better results or to, to grow a, a sustainable business, they need to do marketing. But that's the first problem is that, even though people will recognize they need to do it, many people don't. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of reasons that we can go into as to why people have a block around that. But the first, the starting point is really to recognize that in the consulting business, everything is based on relationships and it's also based on conversations, uh, right? We're not selling, as a consultant, no one is selling uh, a pair of socks or a tie or you know a tube of toothpaste. That is a commodity item that someone can just snap out their credit card and, and purchase. There's thought that goes into engaging a consultant and uh, there's risk involved uh, and there's all kinds of, uh, you know, considerations. And so therefore, uh, a conversation is always required. Uh, and what a lot of people do is they're focusing on all these different kinds of tactics, you know, doing things, but they're, they're not focusing on the one thing that actually matters the most, which is having conversations. And so... The big opportunity for people and really where everyone should be focused if they want to build their pipeline is to get as clear and to go as direct um, as they possibly can, you know, in terms of taking action uh, to what will lead them to having more conversations. Because the more conversations they have, the more opportunities they will identify, the more value they can provide, uh, the more, you know, proposals and, and ultimately business that they will win. It's interesting you say that because I remember when I started out, um, and I, I was flirting with the idea of, of, of being a consultant, you know, and helping people to build communities, uh, probably about three or four years before I went full time. And, um, my wife and I both discussed it. And the big reason why we were uncertain about it is whether there was going to be enough of a pipeline. Cause you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people say, find your niche and, and, and stick to it. 
um, or niche, as Americans will say. Um, but uh, and then I talked to some other people who who I'm friends with who were running their own businesses, and they said it's weird. The business just kind of found me. It just kind of showed up, um, and I haven't had it to do a huge amount of marketing. And with me, to be honest with you, most of my inbound pipeline is 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 through you know connections and people I've been introduced to, and sometimes people see my stuff on the internet and that brings people in. But to what, from your experience, Michael, what extent would you say that experience of like business just kind of shows up is the case for most consultants? Do you think that's you're very lucky if that happens, or does that happen more often than not? Well, there aren't many consultants who you know live in a bunker that don't communicate with the world. Uh, that have people lining up to do business with them, right? So most of the time when I hear people say, yeah, business just kind of finds me and uh, it's all coming from referrals, uh, there's a few things that are typically going on. These are people, you know, like yourself that uh, write books or they're at events, they're speaking, uh, they're somehow, you know, kind of getting active. Yeah, exactly. And so that activity is a form of marketing, even though you may not look at it like marketing. Uh, and that's also why people who typically transition out of the corporate world uh, into consulting and they're, um, you know, they're starting off in a great place with, with business. These are, again, typically people who have planted the seeds in you know, months or in many cases years in the past where they've been active, they've nurtured uh, relationships and their network, they've attended conferences or given talks or whatever it might be. And so they've already been planting those seeds without often recognizing it. So, uh, you know, I would say that for people who are in that position where they kind of feel like, yeah, I haven't actually had to do much marketing, they've probably done a lot more than they've actually paid attention to. They may not look at it <laughs> yeah. like marketing. Right. It just feels natural, right? It's, uh, it's, it's interesting as well. I mean, some people may disagree with this, but I, I'm fairly convinced that just going down to the pub and having lunch with people and, just socially spending time with people is a big chunk of this. Like, you know, again, some of my clients have been people who I've met in bars, I've met in restaurants, I've, you know, just hung out with and talked about kids and and whatever else. And it's amazing how just, I think what you're touching on is the network is where a lot of it kind of comes from, right? And you invest in your network, you invest in meeting people and, and maintaining that. Do you find that from your experience of working with consultants, because I, I imagine there's very few people in the world who work with as many consultants as you do. Um, do you think that you need to have a certain kind of personality to be able to do that well? Because in the marketing world, there is very much of a data-driven, like I do my Facebook ads and I set up my sales funnel and there's all of these different pieces and there's a lot of short-term rewards from that. But in the consulting world, it seems like a lot of long-term investment in building out those relationships. Do you think that needs a certain kind of personality to do well? I mean, it's a really great, uh, thoughtful question, or at least I'd like to, you know, I'll, I'll say that you've been very thoughtful in coming up with that. Um, you know, but no, it, it's a really great one. And, and the answer is no, that it doesn't take, uh, you know, it's, it's, we, we have many clients who would consider themselves to be introverts or highly technical or, you know, more of a science background, others who are more, more extroverts, they're marketing people, they're salespeople. Uh, and they still, you know, reach out to help for help in terms of building their consulting businesses, even though they have that that experience. And so here's what we found is that uh, the key thing is getting clear and identifying what are your strengths. So if you're a very technical person and the idea of sales and marketing completely freaks you out, that's okay. 
uh, it doesn't mean that you can't be a successful consultant. What it means is you, you want to identify what are your strengths? How can you get in front of the marketplace? How can you create more visibility, more distribution um, and, and build your authority, right? And so that might be, maybe you don't want to get on stage and give a talk, uh, but maybe you love the idea of making videos or maybe actually you don't like, like being in the camera. Maybe you just like writing articles and uh, getting very technical and you know, detailed around the experiments that you've been doing or the research that you're finding. And so, you know, we have clients that are in machine learning and AI and, and pharmaceutical and, you know, really deep uh, kind of layers of, of data and so forth. So there is not one kind of, you know, uh, personality type that necessarily is going to be a more successful consultant than, than the other. And in fact, people who are like really strong extroverts or you call it, you know, the fist pumping, loud, kind of some people <laughs> might say obnoxious, you know, go-getter um, and, and hunter, these are people that in many cases are not good consultants because they tend to talk more than they tend to listen. And to be a successful consultant, in fact, the most successful consultants, there's been research about this where, you know, you look at a lot of different um, executives and ask them what is the characteristic or trait that they value most or that they see consistently across uh, the most successful kind of consultants or advisors. Uh, and asking great questions typically comes up uh, right at the top. And so I think mm. the bigger factor, uh, you know, in terms of how successful you're going to be is whether you view yourself and what you're doing as, you know, being a consultant or seeing yourself as a consulting business owner. And the distinction between those two, right, you could be a consultant slash contractor, essentially you're doing work and you might do great work and it might be for one company or, uh, or a couple, and maybe you're getting most of your business through an agency. Uh, but if you're just only focused on doing work and you're not focused on working on your business, meaning that you don't pay any attention to creating intellectual property, thought leadership, marketing, you know, having conversations, essentially managing a business, those are the people that tend to struggle is if they're only thinking about work and they're not thinking about the other aspects of, of running a business. I think you make such a good point. A, a really good friend of mine, um, I'm not going to say his name. I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I told everybody his name, but I haven't asked him. Um, he uh, He's a, a, a consultant. Um, he probably described himself as a contractor, and he's really good at what he does, but he cannot stand the business elements. Like He doesn't enjoy building his business. He doesn't enjoy prospecting. He doesn't enjoy working on his website and putting materials together. He just enjoys what he does as a job. And he struggled, I think, in the past with two things. One is uh, just getting enough business to kind of come in. Things have just generally ticked over reasonably well. Mm -hmm. But he's also struggled with a lot of anxiety around, you know, am I going to have enough business uh, two or three weeks from now? So what would you say, Michael, is the proportion that you need to be? I mean, you've already said you kind of need to be invested in the business, right? To what extent do you think people need to have experience in running a business before they become a consultant? Because speaking personally, for example, I'd never run a business before before I started this, but I think I've got the kind of personality that enjoys learning these things with the exception of taxes. That sucks. Um, but to what extent do you think people go into this and they, you know, do they need to be an expert in business to be successful? Well, first thing is um, you should not be doing your taxes yourself if uh, if you I are. I don't. Good, good. Um, <laughs> I've outsourced anything to do with boring paper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen. So 
I think this is also a great a great question. Um, and no, you don't have to have business experience or experience running a business to be a successful consultant. Um, the main thing is that, and you've hit on this, which is you you have to be uh, excited by and and interested in the process of building a business, uh, of growing, of recognizing that there's going to be a lot of a lot of risk. I mean, think what as an as a consultant running a business, a consulting business owner, you are an entrepreneur, and entrepreneurship by nature, you, you know, you wake up and you know you're gonna. There's a good chance you're gonna get like knocked down today. You, there's a great chance that you're gonna encounter some kind of challenge, but you still get up and you still go to work and you still, you know, you, you kind of thrive and you understand that that's part of it because yeah, it's the process. Yeah, yeah, it's it's exactly it's the process. There's gonna be lows, but the, there's gonna be great highs. But you're doing it because there's a driver, right? There's something that is driving you to essentially run through that gauntlet on a daily basis uh, and to continue, you know, whether you're trying to seek mastery or just higher levels of growth. But for many people, it's they want to have, uh, they want to be able to make a greater impact. They want to realize their potential. They want to have more freedom. They want to spend time with their their children or loved ones, whatever it is, there's something that is driving them. And so to the person who, you know, you're talking about your friend there, who's great at what he does, maybe that's, you know, he just stays where he is and, and that's fantastic. But what we've seen with some clients is that, you know, they don't necessarily enjoy prospecting. They don't like to have to stay on top of doing follow-up. They don't have, you know, they don't really enjoy the idea of kind of like getting out there, pushing themselves to get out there. But when they come back to the question of, well, why did I leave the corporate world? And what is it that I really want to like, really want to accomplish here? And as an example, one of our clients, she said, yeah, you know, every time that I now find myself questioning you know, doing the follow-up and the prospecting and essentially working on the business, which isn't something that she necessarily enjoys doing. She says, well, why did I do this? Why did I leave the corporate world in a great paying job and all that kind of stuff? And she did it because she wanted to spend more time with her two daughters. And so when that idea of, oh yeah, do I, like, should I pick up the phone and should I send these emails or should I follow up? She just goes, well, I'm doing it for my daughter. So yeah, of course I'm going to do it because I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it to spend more time with them. So she uses that as the driver to do the things that maybe aren't the most comfortable or enjoyable, but she knows that the, the payoff, the reward that will come from taking those actions is worthwhile. You know, one of the things I uh, <clears throat> have found most empowering and interesting about being a consultant, and I've heard other consultants say this too, and I'd love to get your, your, your thoughts on this, is I thought before I became a consultant, I kind of knew what I was doing. Like I thought I'd, I'd figured out my profession, which is building communities, and I had a good handle of it. But um, becoming a consultant and working with so many different people and learning all the different elements of building and running a business and seeing results that aren't delivering the value that you want and then optimizing and tuning them and seeing them grow and, and change – it, it 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 without wishing to sound cheesy, it's it's almost like a bit of a rebirth, um, and it's made me, I think a, first of all, I really enjoy the work, but secondly, I think it's um it's made me stronger and and more adept to adversity, and dealing with adversity because when you're a consultant, it's not like you can go to work and slack, right? Like a lot, if you've got a regular job, you can go to work and kind of put a couple of days, kind of phone it in for a couple of days. Um, but you can't do that when you run your own business. Have you seen that similar kind of transition happening with people who become consultants? Uh, yeah, I mean, all the time. Because if you don't take steps consistently to build your business, 
to plant those. Essentially, what you're doing is planting seeds, right? And and this is why for so many people, business building a business can be challenging because you don't necessarily see the rewards of your efforts right away. Um, you know, and if you're going to work, like you know, you clock in, you do your work, you know, two weeks you're getting your paycheck. You know, another two weeks you're getting your paycheck. Like you're just you're in your bubble doing your thing, and that that's great if that's what works for you. But it's very when transactional, though, isn't it? You know, it's just it, it is, it is. Yeah, and this, this is what actually makes the consultant so valuable. And so when some people look at you know the rates and and essentially the the price you know, or um, the income that that a consultant can generate, they're kind of like flabbergasted because they go like, whoa, how you only work that much, but you generate that much. How, how do you do that? And it's because the consultant is able to bring so much value. They're able to see all these different connection points of what works, what doesn't work, because you become involved in a lot of different projects and you have to not only do something. And, you know, if you're just doing something after a while, you kind of get into the flow of doing it and you get good at doing it, but you don't see it from that outside perspective. And you may then not see that you could actually be doing it in a better way. But as a consultant, you're actually having to teach, right? As much as you are doing. And in some cases you're doing a lot more teaching and advising than you are doing. And so when you have to teach something, they often, you know, you often say that by teaching something, it actually helps to make what you're teaching or what you're doing, you become much better at it because having to teach it, you have to see it in a different perspective. And you have to be able to essentially explain it rather than just do it. And so I think that's what makes a consultant so powerful is not only that you just have to teach it and 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 do it and understand it, but you're also doing it on multiple occasions with multiple use cases, all kinds of right different situations, and you start to see how different industries or different situations uh, can connect to each other, and so you're able to, to to take the best practices from all these different places and essentially be able to put them together to create the optimal system or uh, or process and therefore a greater result for clients. You know, it's interesting you say that because I remember when I was uh, at XPRIZE, um, at the founder of XPRIZE, Peter Diamandis, who I work with, one thing that he said to me that's always stuck with me and has served me well as a consultant is, you don't have to have all the answers but you do need to be able to package up the right answers in the right way for the right audience. And it strikes me that as a consultant, like you said, you're in, you're kind of in the, for a lot of consultants, not all, but you're in the business of teaching, of training, of, of skills transition. And, and the act of consulting in itself will make you better in the same way that a stand-up comedian will go out and they'll work on their material for, you know, uh, seven or eight months before they've got enough material that's perfected for their Netflix special. It seems like that kind of refinement of the communication is a is a critical piece of it, right? Definitely. I mean, that that is essentially what what creates the value that a consultant can can bring. You know, I think a, a really common question that people have that comes up is, uh, you know, if you're working, let's say, with a client and the client says, or a prospective client, they say, you know, have you worked in our in our industry before? Have you worked with our exact type of company before? And a lot of people that kind of freaks them out. It's like, well, how do I respond to that if I haven't? And, it, you know, so the, the, the answer is to first of all, focus on your strengths. Don't try and compensate for a weakness. But in fact, what makes the consultant so strong uh, is that they're bringing collective knowledge of all the different industries or companies or situations that they've worked in. And they're then able to apply that you know, the best practices for that new client. And so, you know, I remember many years ago, I was working with an insurance company. I was in the boardroom and one of the partners came up and said it to me, he's like, hey, Michael, have you worked with insurance companies before? And I hadn't. And I said, well, no, I haven't. But I said, I don't, you know, you guys are the insurance experts. I'm not going to teach you anything that you don't know about insurance already. 
but I know marketing and I'm bringing, you know, X number of years of marketing experience in all different types of professional services firms. So you guys are the experts in, in the insurance side, but I can help you to generate more leads and I can help you with, with the marketing side. And so when they saw that from that perspective, it was like, oh, well, I guess that's true. Yeah. We're not looking for help with insurance. We're looking for help with, in their case, marketing. Yeah. Do you find that, you know, earlier on, you said something which was really interesting about um, the ability to listen, right? So I've had a couple of um, of executive coaches on on this podcast, and uh, and one of the things I love about talking to coaches is that they're the easiest people and the most satisfying people to talk to because they're great listeners <laughs> by definition, and I've always admired that. Uh, but I think there's a tension in all of us, especially when you are positioning yourself as a subject matter expert where people are, are hiring you to offer your insight and your expertise, it can be tempting to go down that rabbit hole of just doing all of the talking. And I, you know, I find myself, I have to discipline myself to not do that. Um, I imagine that that gets more and more complicated as the demand for your services increases and as your confidence increases. Um, how do you, what would you recommend to people to strike that right balance between the right measure of listening and speaking? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're right. The power comes from, from the questions that you ask. And the way that I always think about this is when you are talking with, you know, whether it's a client or a future client or, or someone else, uh, most of the conversation just lives at the surface level. And so if I ask just a, a question and then they, you know, someone, the other person answers and I just then go on talking, I haven't actually arrived or I haven't actually identified the true value or the core uh, purpose or desire or problem. Uh, and therefore I need to peel back the layers of the onion. And that's why the questions are, are so important. So most consultants, right, they're, they're consulting because they want to help. Like that's most, most consultants are like in their bones, they're, they're teachers, right? They, they want to make an impact. They want to help people. They want to teach. Uh, and so the, the fastest way to do that is essentially just to say, Hey, yeah, I see what your problem is. Let me fix it for you. Right. And let me just tell you what to do. But the problem with that is that assumes that we know, you know, what that person really cares about. And we're not necessarily in the business of just providing a solution. We need to provide the right solution. We need to identify what does a meaningful solution look like for this person. And every person is different. Everyone's situation you know, is, is unique in some form. And so this is where asking questions and just recognizing that, you know what, you don't know everything. It doesn't matter how many years you've been in this business. Uh, just because you, you know something doesn't mean that you know exactly what's going on in the mind of that person. And so out of respect for that person and also out of our responsibility to ensure that we're providing the best result, which is essentially the, the what, whatever result is going to be meaningful for that person, we need to slow down and, and just peel back the layers of the onion to truly identify not just what is at the surface level, but what is at the core. And then once we have that, a couple of things happen that, that are really interesting. The first is at, for the consultant, for the, you know, the, the advisor, you become a lot clearer about what that person really wants and you become a lot clearer about the situation uh, that that person is in. You also are able to do a much better job of identifying the value that that person cares about or the value that can be created from that engagement, which is critical in, in your value pricing. Uh, if you just jump to a quick conclusion, say, well, here's how I can help you. 
you haven't had the opportunity to truly identify the value and, and communicate the value that that buyer is going to care about. And so then when you say, yeah, it's going to be $50,000 or $500,000 or whatever, that person will just judge you in most cases based on that number that they hear and they see that as a, as a cost or an expense. But if you go deeper and you really identify the value for them, you know, the implication that it has for them and their work, for the organization, you know, if they do this now, uh, what does that mean for them? If they don't do it now, what does that mean for them? You know, how will this change their business? How will this change their career? So on and so forth. Then you're able to really have a, a very value-based conversation with that buyer. And then when you get to your fee, they now see that as, as an investment rather than a cost uh, and expense. But the other part of this in terms of asking, you know, deeper and deeper questions and peeling back the layer of, of the onion, that was just on your side. But for the buyer, what happens is they actually uh, appreciate you more and they see you as a greater authority and expert because through your questions, what you're really doing is you're demonstrating your expertise. You're mm. asking them things and you're, you're almost encouraging them without forcing them. You're, you're guiding them and supporting them to see their situation and to look at their goals and the challenges from different angles and perspectives than they've done by themselves. And so especially when you're talking about executives and savvy buyers, what they're looking for is an advantage. They're looking for unique ideas and insights and someone to help them to essentially make better decisions and get better results in the highest kind of most optimal way. And so by asking questions that you can only do if you slow things down and, and drive deeper and deeper you know, to that core, they, they go, wow, this person has asked me some questions. They go like, hey, you know, Jono, you've asked me questions that no one's ever asked me before. And you know what, what you just said, I didn't actually, th I've never thought about it in that way. And it's also incredibly important because most executives are surrounded by a lot of people that just kind of, you know, kiss their backside and tell them what they <laughs> want to hear. And so right. you as the advisor and the kind of that, that outside expert by being able to help them to see things in a different way and convey the truth, uh, they really start to view you not just as a provider of services and not just as a consultant, but more and more as a trusted advisor. There's so many, there's so many things I want to, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about. My, you raise a bunch of things in there that's got my mind spinning. Like one is, is that, that focus on the value, right? So, you know, a lot of salespeople, for example, they'll say people buy products because it can make them money. It can save them money. It can save them time. It can improve their relationships. There's lots and lots of different drivers behind why people will buy something. But as a consultant, it seems to me that you've got to be able to deliver value on multiple different strains. And the success of a consultant is going to be defined by A, understanding the value that you can bring, and B, being able to generate value with your audience and understanding what that value looks like. What would you say are the most critical things? So for people listening to this who are consultants or they're thinking about becoming consultants in how they define that value proposition and how they interface it with their audience, what would you say is the biggest mistake that people make that they should, they should rectify? The biggest one, hands down, is uh, taking your hypothesis or essentially what you believe or what you see and using that to drive uh, your messaging, your marketing, your conversations. What I mean by that is the consultant who views uh, their, their you know, ideal client or their solutions uh, through their own eyes and then uses that as their talking points uh, typically doesn't get great results. And that's because you what you should be doing is 
developing your hypothesis uh, and then going out and and validating it. But ideally, your hypothesis is not just based on what you believe or what you see, because for the consultant, right, for that advisor, you're able to to look at a situation and most often you can identify, you know, the dangers, the threats, the opportunities, the upside a lot faster than the client can because the client is in the bubble, right? They're just, their heads down doing, doing their work. They can't see what you can see. And that's why consultants are able to bring so much value often quite quickly because you can just identify what's going on a lot faster. However, the problem and the challenge for the consultant is if, they, if you start off just talking about what you see or what you know to be true, even if it is true, it may not resonate with the client because that's not what the client is thinking. The client may not be seeing that. So what's really important is that you identify what is it that your ideal client sees right now? What are they thinking right now? What are, what's going through their mind right now? You know, what are they, when they, when you consider a topic, whatever that might, that, or that issue, what are they feeling inside? And the more that you can hit on that, the more that you can show them that you understand the, the conversation that is going on in their mind and what they're going through, the more kind of empathy that you can bring to the front, the greater results you're going to see. And that's where people like, you know, kind of miss the mark quite a bit is they'll go in and say, yeah, here's what you need to do. I have these great solutions, great products and take this, this training, this blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the, the uh, prospective client, it just goes right past them because that's just marketing speak that they're surrounded by all day long. But if you can ask a, a meaningful question that goes to the core of what that person is is thinking or feeling right now, not only will you get their attention and interest, not only will that resonate with them, but now they go like, whoa, you, you get me. And so I think the big opportunity for people is to, number one, make sure that you're thinking about everything in your business from who your ideal client is to your messaging, to your marketing, to your offers, not just through your eyes and, and your kind of you know lens, but put yourself in the shoes of your ideal client and ask yourself, what are they thinking about? And how are they processing this information? And what concerns do they have? What are they excited about? What are the opportunities they might see? You know, what are they going to likely be dealing with? And then frame everything around that so that your language is connected to the language that's going on in their mind. And then you use that in your messaging. You use it in your marketing. You use it in your conversations. And you also uh, then, you know, use that in your content. Like actually just this morning, I was doing a session with some of our clients. We call it the, the content challenge where just helping them through how to develop uh, content that will be meaningful. And we spent all of today really going through a set of different uh, questions to filter your content topics and ideas through. And the core of it was all about, you know, how do, how does someone feel when you're, when you bring this topic up? Because the more that we can tap into that, that empathy or that we can show that we understand what is going through that person's mind, the more that, that our content will therefore you know, resonate with them. And again, it's all back to the beginning of what we talked about here. That's what leads to creating conversations. So this kind of raises two questions. Um, one is uh, a previous guest, uh, one of the two coaches that I've had on the show, uh, Liz McCabe um, at Stinson Advising and Executive Coaching. She's she's fabulous. And one of the things that she talks about, I forget exactly how she presented it, but she basically said, some days I need to show up as Rambo and they need a, just a, just a bolt of like discipline. And some days I show up and I, and I need to be Gandhi. Like I need to be gentle. I need to be supportive. And I think a lot of this seems to then be, um, making the relationship between your client and the consultant 
making vulnerability okay, right? Which is, I think, what you're what you're tapping into. So to understand and empathize with them, how do you do that? Because sometimes when you're working in a consulting session, you're you're working with a group of people, like four or five people at a time. You're working with some people in the executive team, some people maybe in a different team, where sometimes the the environment is not necessarily conducive to and allowing that vulnerability to flow. How would you approach that? Yeah, so it's what you do before and after, right? I mean, looking at each person, but especially, you know, your your kind of sponsor or champion in that organization or, or the buyer, the decision maker, uh, and making sure that, you know, you're not, you're not just having conversations about business. Ideally, for a long-term relationship, you're, you're getting to know them as a person. Um, you, know, you, you talked earlier, John, about this idea of, you know, having a pint with somebody or going to the pub or having a conversation. And, and that's really where, uh, the magic happens, right? I mean, that's really where people start to let their guard down and become more comfortable and more open with you. And so, you know, in a, a business environment, if you have multiple multiple people in the room, it might be challenging to, to kind of break that ice, but you definitely want to do what you can to um, move the conversation or move that session and, and get people to open up, get people to feel more comfortable um, you know, maybe it's you share an example of something that you did that that completely flopped and how you learn from it, but essentially letting people know that it's that it's okay, that they don't have to be perfect. Um, and then again, you know, it's it's the conversation you have before as well as after with with that person to review the session and to get feedback uh, and to in in some ways, if it's appropriate, to talk to each of those people in the session separately to get their feedback about the session you know, what, what do they think could be improved next time? So it's, it's really showing that you care and it's making yourself accessible, not coming in as this, you know, big time corporate, uh, consultant that just does the job and then, you know, disappears, uh, really to create long-term value in a long-term relationship. It's, it's being human and it's, um, you know, caring and showing that you do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, Let's change gears a little bit um, and talk about the perception of consultants, um, because I think in the eyes of some, a, a, a rather cynical view of consultants is that they are overpriced people who come into an organization through some senior executive who wants to make a change. Um, they spend two or three months in meetings and in discussions, they write a 50-page re- report and then they bugger off. And there's not a lot of value out of that relationship. Um, do you think that's fair? I'm guessing you don't think it's fair. <laughs> but how do you think we need to change the perception? Because there's no doubt that there's some really valuable consultants out there. But I don't know about you, Michael, but I have worked with some really bad consultants and they kind of ruin it for the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, well, what you just described excites me because it's what we talk to our clients about every day, and it's an advantage for you know for you and I. It's an advantage for the, the good consultants, the, the people who actually do care, because there are a lot of firms that that um, operate in that way. And so the the key there is you know for you, the consultant listening to this or or would be consultant, is to look at again, don't try and compensate for your weaknesses. So as an example, a much larger consulting firm. That might be the status quo, like go in, put a whole bunch of junior people on a project, you know, bid them up or charge them at a, at a higher fee, deliver a report, and then ascend, you know, charge millions of dollars and disappear. Um, knowing that and knowing that that's not what you do and that you might run a boutique firm or an independent consultancy or whatever it might be, then you want to communicate that and let the market know that that's not what you do. And if they're 
looking for a more customized approach or a closer relationship or to work with a consultant where you know your business really matters to them then um then that's what you do and so uh, from a marketing and messaging perspective uh, it's an opportunity it's always to look at you know what is the alternative for that buyer and then how can you uh you know communicate so that it's very clear that that you've identified that those are issues and then in fact whether you're going through an RFP process, which is not something I typically recommend, or just putting a proposal, you know, on, on in front of an ideal client, and they might be considering other options. When you actually identify and let the buyer know, hey, here's some things that you should look for. You're not saying anything negative about, negative about any specific person, but you're letting them know here's some things you should look out for. Uh, and clearly, that's not what what you're doing, right? You're providing the opposite. You're providing the highest value. Well, now that essentially puts like a lens um, or a filter for that buyer, and so everything else that they consider in terms of alternatives, they're going to now be thinking about that. And of course, you position that so that that's not what you do. So I think that's an opportunity for uh, for people. But the other side, you know, back to how do we rally the troops and, and how do we make a better name for consultants? I think the reality is that that's going to be hard to a degree, like any industry, you know, it's, it's similar to say salespeople have a bad, a bad image, right? Uh, it's the used car salesperson, as, as everyone likes to say. Um, but that's you know that's an understanding of of some in the marketplace. However, uh, there's a lot of uh, executives or people who understand the value of a great salesperson. And the best salespeople aren't the people that you know just come in and they don't operate in the way that a use that the old typical um, kind of image of a used car salesman you know would. They, the best salespeople are like the best consultants. They ask great questions. They're very knowledgeable. They show they care. They do great follow up. You know, they're they're you don't feel like they're selling to you. You feel like they're supporting you in making the best decision. And so I think the opportunity for for all of us in terms of what we should be doing is just um, focusing on serving our clients and adding the most value for the marketplace. And I mean, you do a great job of, of this, Jono, which is <clears throat> you put out a lot of information for people. Right. So you're, you're giving a lot of ideas uh, for people, even if they don't pay you, which is you know what we've been doing as well for many years. And I know some people are concerned about that. It's like, well, why would you give away your best ideas? Well, because you know that you can't serve everyone anyways. And in fact, putting out more and more ideas, what that does is it attracts more and more people. Uh, and so I think that's how we we counter that is that, you know, we don't try and uh, fall victim or or lump ourselves into that that other group because we know that's not who we are. Our focus is on adding value to the world, to the marketplace, and then providing the highest level of service um, and an impact and results to the market. And by doing that, then word of mouth spreads. And not only do we make an impact on that organization and the people in the organization, but that leads to a whole bunch of other good stuff. Exactly. I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting you say that because I, I've met a lot of people who have had that insecurity as well about, well, if I put out all of this information, um, are people going to still need my, my consulting services? Am I going to be replaced by my own YouTube videos? Um, and I had that insecurity for a bit as well. And there's no doubt that it's, it's a, that's a, an incorrect fear or well, it's a correct fear, but it's, it's, I don't think it pans out that way. Um, my consulting hasn't been impacted. I don't think at all in a negative way since I've been putting content out. In fact, it has had the opposite of that impact. Like I've mm -hmm. met a lot of people who've kind of come through and said, um, you know, I saw this video or someone introduced me, uh, someone mentioned you as somebody who I should talk to about solving this particular problem. And I went and saw a bunch of your content online. Um, what would you say are the other 
insecurities, worries, fears that consultants typically have, especially again, if someone's listening to this and they're they're thinking about consulting, they want to get out of the the corporate grind, want to run their own business. Um, what are the insecurities that people typically have that you think are misplaced that they don't actually need to worry about? Have a couple hours still to go through them. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is one of seven thousand. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, consultants are our people, right? And so it doesn't matter what industry you're in or what what your job is. Uh, I think we all have concerns and um, you know points of stress and times where we feel overwhelmed and so forth. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, which is what the consulting business owner is, you're, you're going to have a whole bunch of those. But it's number one, just recognize, and I'll come back to your question in a second, but it's just recognizing that, you know, um, every challenge that we face and when we face it head on and regardless of the outcome, we learn from it and that just makes us stronger and better. And once you recognize that and you actually embrace it, uh, then what becomes exciting is that nothing's going to hold you back, right? You're, you're just going to continue to to uh, move up and to make strides and, and progress and see greater results. In terms of your question, I mean, some very common uh, anxieties or concerns that people have or, or fears that people have uh, and, and a challenge is, you know, when you venture into consulting and you have a track record of experience and, and results and a big skill set, uh, a big one is, you know, like, who do I, who should I focus on? And, uh, and essentially, you end up trying to offer too many different services to too many different people and saying, yeah, I, an example, oh, yeah, I work with technology companies. Well, like, fantastic. What, is it, what does that mean? Oh, you know, I do like, yeah, data stuff for technology companies. No clue what you're talking about, right? So it's it's being far too general because what people are trying to, the, the, the mindset, the status quo, the default is, well, yeah, I've done A and B and C and D things. So in my career, and I'm good at all those things, can I just like do all those as well in my business? And the reality is, yes, sure you can. But the challenge is that that means you need to essentially support three to four different types of messages, three to four different types of clients, three to four different types of offerings, right? And you're creating complexity. And I don't know about you, but you know most people, um, well, I, I know about you, John. I mean, you're, you're also, you like to run things that are fairly simple, right? Most of us I don't, don't think we want, we don't want to create more complexity than we need. And, and that's really because complexity doesn't scale. So yeah, uh, we have that, enough complexity in our lives. We don't yeah, need more. Exactly, right? So it's, it's better <laughs> to keep things simple. So this is one of these things that feels counterintuitive to some people. It's like, well, I don't want to be put in a corner. I, I feel like I'm limiting myself to say that I only serve this industry or only focus on this one this one problem. But in fact, as you're starting out, that actually can become really powerful, right? You know, you're you don't go out and say, "Hey, I'm a, I'm the marketing." I can, like, sure, you can help you with marketing and content, but you're you built your brand around community. That's that's what people know you for. And if you start off and said, "Well, yeah, guys, I can, I'm known as like the content guy and the community guy and the marketing guy. I can do books and like I can help you with all these different things." No one would really know what it is that you do, and no one would be able to remember what you do because there's too many things in their mind. And so, getting that clarity and that focus and that area of specialization is is really important. So that's one. Uh, another one here is is pricing, right? So uh, people come in and they go, well, the status quo is is hourly pricing. So I guess I charge an hourly fee. Uh, that's what people do, and then they'll they'll do that. And that by itself, I mean, it's not it's not the worst thing, but it's not a great thing because you cap how much you can earn. It's also uh, a complete kind of in opposition to what the, the client wants, right? You as a consultant want to work more hours so you can make more money. The client wants you to work less hours so they can pay you less. And that's not the kind of, 
that's not the approach that you should take to build uh, a relationship based on on value. Um, so that's that's another one. And then I think people just hold themselves back in terms of their confidence around raising their fees. Uh, you know, they look at their past model of of what they think they should be, and they have concerns around, well, if I increase my fees, uh, won't does that mean that I'm going to lose clients, and I don't want to piss anyone off, or I don't want to scare them away, and and all you know, essentially we tell ourselves all these stories. I think people just to sum it up, most of the fears or the anxieties or concerns that people have, they come from beliefs or uh, or you know f- uh, focusing on things that potentially could happen, but very rarely do. And so we create all these concerns that aren't actually going to be valid. And so what most people do is they don't take as much action as they could around different things because they're worried that they might make a mistake. They're you know, they're they're coming from a place of being perfect or having this perfectionist mindset where they want to get everything just right before they launch, before they try and increase prices, before they put out a product, before they reach out to an ideal client. And when you're an entrepreneur, when you're in the business of consulting, that's going to hurt you more than anything else. And so you need to get out there because as you get out there and you say different things, you try different things, you're going to actually learn. You're going to learn what works, what doesn't, and you'll be able to then optimize and make course corrections and ultimately arrive at your destination or make progress towards that destination much faster. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying here as well, Michael, is that like overthinking things can be a real problem. Um, And I imagine that with many consultants, um, there's a high risk of that because you're running your own business. You're responsible for everything. Um, a lot of consultants are very process or orientated, very organized. That's right. Um, so if they're going to do one thing, they're going to, they'll, they'll be damned if they're not going to do it right. Um, what would be your guidance to people who have a tendency to overthink things? Yeah. Imperfect action is an important keyword. You know, just again, recognize that, uh, and there's so much literature and, and data on this, like, you know, going back to the lean startup from Eric Ries and before that, Steve Blanks, like the whole idea of, finding product market fit and validation, right? It's what I said before that um, the belief that people, that the mistaken belief is you need to get your product, your service, your offering, your idea, like really well, uh, you know, formulated and it has to be as close to perfection as possible before you launch it to the world. And so like a, a really clear example of this, uh, or I think maybe a good example would be the new consultant that, that doesn't want to tell all of their connections what they're doing until they have their website ready, their business card and all <laughs> right. their messaging, like, perfectly in order because somehow if they tell people or if you know they don't have that that uh, ready they're like you know they're going to lose their chance uh, or they're going to make a bad first impression and that couldn't be further from the truth because no one that you're going to you know reach out to like very 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 few people are going to go oh that's what you're doing yeah I want to hire you right now right that doesn't happen it's it's based on multiple conversations touch points um you know it's a relationship that you're building and so this is a great opportunity. As soon as you decide what you're going to do, go and tell everyone what you're either planning to do or what you now are doing. The more people that know what it is that you're doing, the more feedback you can get, the more, you know, essentially just planting that first seed. And in business, you have to plant seeds over and over and over again. And so imperfect action is really, really critical because it provides you the more action you take, the more you're going to learn what works and what doesn't work. If you do something that works, do more of it. If you do something that doesn't work, either decide, okay, that didn't work and you're not going to do it again, or you adjust a little bit and try it again and then see if it works. Great. If it doesn't, you get, do the same thing. So getting that data, essentially the more data you get, the more you know feedback you're receiving from the marketplace, the better decisions you can make and therefore the more progress you're going to actually achieve. Now, you know, it reminds me of the, the famous quote from Reid Hoffman, you know, the founder of LinkedIn, where he said, 
if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. 100%. I th- you know, I think a lot of people intellectually understand that and the spirit of that quote, but I think a lot of people struggle to put that into practice, especially as a consultant, because their view is, or their fear is, um, if I don't present a high quality sheened product and service, um, because I'm charging a lot of money for this, it's going to reflect poorly on me. And then if it reflects poorly on me, people, people talk. And then before you know it, you're not, you've not got any kind of inbound business kind of coming in. What would your guidance be on how to kind of get comfortable with that idea of, of not being perfect, you know, as you're, as you're developing your product? I, I agree with you. I just, it's a great question and, and it's so true, right? This is very pervasive. Um, there's many ways to approach this. The first is you can read. I mean, you know, pick up a few books uh, as we're talking about, you know, Lean Startup being one um, and, and there's many others out there that where you'll see firsthand case studies and examples of those that did not do this and uh, did not have success. Uh, and then those who did this and had great success. I mean, I, I always share the story with our clients that um, back in the day before we started Fresh, G- uh, Fresh Gigs, one of our companies that uh, I think was now acquired th- two, three years ago almost. But uh, you know, when we started off with that business, uh, it was very different. It wasn't called that. And we had this idea for building a community for marketing and creative professionals. So LinkedIn was already out there. Other things were out there. But we thought, hey, we have like this revolutionary idea. We're going to build a community just for a certain segment of the market. We were all excited about it. We got a bunch of beta testers and, and kind of users, but we never really asked them, like, what do you guys want? And so we invested $20,000 back in the day to, to build this thing. Um, and we we kind of, you know, embedded like as many features as we could. We were, we were pushing the developers to just make it great. And we couldn't wait for it to come out. We had everything in there aiming for perfection. We launched it. And we said to then the, the beta years that we had, you know, these hundreds of users or whatever it was, hey, guys, what do you think? It's now ready. And they all said, well, listen, like this is nice, but we only really care about like 5% of what you built. And so for us, it was like, wow, why didn't we just ask people earlier on what they really wanted? And so <laughs> we were lucky in that we took that feedback and then you know, iterated on and, and shifted uh, rather quickly. And then from there, you know, became profitable and it was a good experience. But I always share this with clients because uh, to me, it's an example of what so many of us do, which is we, we have an idea, we stick to it, and then we just try and like, you know, push it out there. But if we don't get the feedback, then we, we might be pushing the wrong thing out there. We might be spending a lot, like wasting a lot of time building something that nobody actually wants. And so I would say one is, is read, just so you can actually see what others have experienced. And then the other thing is I would say is test, you know, start small, try something that pushes your comfort zone just a little bit and see how you feel about it. Like as an example, um, you know, you could record a little video and, and post it onto LinkedIn. And maybe you, you thought, no, I have to wait for something to be perfect before doing that. Just try something small like that. Or you know what? Uh, get your website like up and ready and then don't touch it. Recognize that your website's always going to evolve. As long as you have something up, there, great, right? And just make a couple of phone calls, send a few emails, like just do little steps. And then what just will happen- ship something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, keep yeah, Seth keep Gordon, on shipping. Yeah, Seth Godin says that, right? He, he says like, just, just ship stuff out there, get stuff out there. And I think it's so true. And as you do that, what happens, right? As you kind of start taking a bit of that imperfect action, it becomes, um, it becomes almost like a, a drug, right? Because as you do that, you start then seeing a little bit more result and you go, wow, this is actually working. And as you see more results, even if it's just a, a little small result and you feel a bit of progress, what that tells you is, okay, what I'm doing is 
Like it might actually work. And now your, your confidence increases and you go, okay, well, let me try a little bit more. And then you do a bit more. And all of a sudden now you get more, more progress and more results. You go, huh, okay, yeah, this is actually, maybe this is really going to work. And now more yeah. confidence. And, and now it's like this, this cycle, this loop that really moves you forward. And then once you've done it for a while, it's really hard to turn back because you know that you've figured out that as you do more, take more action, as long as it's the right action, you're following a good plan and so forth, then you're going to get results. Um, and so I think that's the exciting part. And, and listen, this is also about entrepreneurship because I don't think that everyone is necessarily meant or to, to follow that path. For some people, that idea of putting themselves out there and uh, you know, being punched in the face or getting knocked down or this, the idea is not, not exciting for them. And the, the calling of the, the benefit that can come from doing that maybe isn't strong enough. Maybe they're very happy in their current situation. And that's fine because it's not for all people. Uh, but yeah, yeah. if the calling is strong enough, if the desires, you know, if you're hungry enough for it, uh, then then taking that path and kind of, you know, working through it and the ups and downs uh, makes it all worthwhile. It, it can be. Yeah, it's, I, I just think it's I think it's so incredibly rewarding, especially if you, like you say, if you got the right kind of personality that embraces the challenge. Um, so I want to make sure I get you out the door on time. Um, and I've got one final question for you to wrap this up. Um, so let's play a bit of role play. Now imagine you are, you lost everything, right? And you, you're starting over again and you want to be, let's say a marketing consultant as an example. Um, you've got 30 days, 30 to 45 days to make something work. What would be the first practical set of things you, Michael Zepersti, would do to kick off your brand new business to start again from scratch? Uh, and we're talking about today, like 2020. Right so let's assume you don't have your you don't have your current you don't have your current business right now today in in September 2020. Um, what would be the first set of things as a brand new consultant you would do? So uh, do I still have my network? Do I still ha- know people? Yeah, you know people from your previous companies, let's say. Okay. So yeah. the first thing I would do would be to reach out to all those people. And I would lead with uh, finding out you know, how they're doing, what are they working on, uh, anything new, anything interesting, any challenges. Uh, and then uh, if it made sense, I would offer some ideas, uh, maybe ask some questions uh, and see, number one, if there's any way that I can maybe add some value for them, uh, what, even if that was for free or, you know, on a trial basis or, or whatever it might be uh, to just get my foot in the door. Uh, and if there was great, and if there wasn't, I would ask them, who would they suggest that I speak with? Like I would tell them what I'm doing now, what my focus is and ask them who they might suggest that I talk to. Um, I would also look at if I'm, uh, if I have any, you know, specific kind of experience in, um, uh, in an industry, I might go to the industry associations and reach out to the executive directors or others in those associations uh, and tell them what I'm doing and, and ask them, you know, again, who who should I speak to or any suggestions? I would also ask them, you know, can I write articles for their publication? Can I do a webinar for their audience? Um, again, because of leverage, right? If I just start writing now content for my own website, my own blog, within 30 days is probably not going to do very much. Um, I might commit to doing something daily on LinkedIn, like every day for 30 days, uh, again, just depends on how much network I have, uh, you know, connections from like what, what my starting point is. But I would look for leverage because if someone already has access to my ideal clients, it's going to be much faster, more productive to get to use that uh, rather than trying to build it up all by myself. So 
that's probably where, where I would start within 30 days. And I would be very focused on having conversations um, and just getting in front of as many people as I possibly can, asking questions, um, you know, not at the surface level, but digging deeper, seeing how I can add value for them, you know, give them some suggestions, provide them with, with content or whatever it is that I have, uh, and then also find out who they think I should, I should speak to. Yeah. A lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. <laughs> a lot of coffee, a lot of green. I, so, I, I, yeah, I love espresso, but I'm, I also really enjoy uh, green, like um, matcha green tea. Oh, yeah. Uh, so so I'd, I'd, be, I'd be zoning on that. Lots of water. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it takes, it's a great question. It takes me back to, like, my, my, my days um, in my youth where I remember I was trying to uh, get some money to be able to travel and looking for a job. And this is back when we had yellow pages. Some of you, well, may, hopefully many of you may remember those big books. And, you know, then you, after a while, you would just take them and stack them and put your computer monitor on top of them. And all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Right. I would open up the yellow pages and I would just like go to a section, like, for example, maybe it was landscaping. And this is actually what I did. Uh, and you'll, you'll like the ending of the story, John, but I, I just, I flipped through and I called every single company and I said, Hey, I'm just wondering if you're, I'm looking for a job. So if you're hiring. No, and like I just kept doing that over and over and over again. And I probably called like yeah, 30 to 40 companies. And one of them, which was called English Lawns, uh, said, yeah, uh, actually we are. Are you available tomorrow? And I was like, well, actually I'm not tomorrow because they're going to a different city. I was like, but I could start next week on this day when you're back. I said, okay, good. So listen, that that's what I did. That was one of the jobs that I had that summer that I used to make money. And I'm not suggesting that people have to cold call like I did back then, but why did that work? It worked because I found you know, people that potentially were hiring and that it's got in front of people over and over until one of them said yes. Um, and so that's the mindset that I, that I bring to things is, and that I think that people want to bring to it is again, have conversations. Uh, it's not about just a one-time thing. You keep doing that over and over, but within 30 days, I think anyone that's truly committed and if they really work it hard can make, can make progress. I'll see some results. Yeah. Hard work and a bit of hustle. That's what it's all about. Well, Michael, it's uh, just a real pleasure having you on. I love the work that you do. I certainly see you as, as an inspiration to my own consultant. And I'd encourage everybody who's interested in this, if you're thinking about uh, being a consultant, uh, go and check out Michael's work with Consulting Success. And, uh, and I'll hopefully catch up with you sometime soon, my friend. Fantastic. Great being with you. Great being with you.